share it a little bit. After all my years of preaching, uh, I still get a lump in my throat on Saturday nights, and it continues. Saturday night is usually a pretty rough night for me. Not that I'm afraid, but that I, I understand the responsibility of, of standing in the pulpit. It's an awesome responsibility. How many of you have ever been somewhere and brought a message or done something? And oh, It's rough. You should always get that lump in your throat. That's something that should stay there and, and not be treated lightly because God speaks to us when we just say, well, here I am, and I don't know what to do next, but God, you do. I can't tell you, and I hope it doesn't exhibit itself in the sermons, but I can't tell you how many times I've, I've thought, well, God, you know, I don't have anything right now. Holy Spirit, speak to me. And without fail, he does every time. Because he said, just open your mouth and I'll fill it. So I've, I've realized that responsibility. And uh, I want to speak about worship. And I want to start in John 1.17 in the uh, King James Version. I'll probably be sniffling a little bit, but just bear with me. Well, it's not working good. All right, everybody get out your Bibles or your phones. (laughs) We're having some technical issues. I guess we can get through a couple technical issues. When Jesus spoke, they tried to throw him off a mountain. <laughs> but it said he went on anyhow. They couldn't get him because he laid down his life at the time that he was appointed to do it. John chapter 1, King James Version in verse 17. And it says this. It says, for the law was given by Moses. This is what the Torah and the whole Old Testament is about. The law was given by Moses. Now the law is something, it's like a catch, catch basin, a catch pan for when we, when we misuse the grace of God. Now I want to explain what I said there because we live in a time where, where grace is a great topic. But back in the 30s when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was preaching, before he was put into prison and things like that, he wrote a a treatise on cheap grace. This was back in the 30s. So cheap grace is not something new. It's something that we need to learn what grace is so that we don't fall into the lap of the law. How many of you like living by the law? It's hard to keep the law, isn't it? But the law is there as a cushion to protect us. The Ten Commandments were placed there for our protection. A lot of the world looks at what God says as, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. But the law was given to Moses, handed down for the protection of people. But then, if you look at the rest of the verse, it says, for the law was given by Moses, the law. But grace, say grace. Grace. 
What is grace? It's unmerited favor is what it is. It means there's nothing we can do to, to gain it except believe, except have faith. That's what grace is. Grace and truth came how? By Jesus Christ. Everybody on that page there with me, you see it? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In other words, in the Old Testament, everybody lived by the law. Okay, but the law kills. The Spirit gives. The importance of having the life of the Spirit is, is that the law will eventually kill us because we can't keep the whole law. So we're always functioning. We're always functioning at a disadvantage by trying to keep the whole law. It's impossible. That's why the Scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we realize that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, then what do we fall on? Thank God for grace, Jeff, because if it wasn't for grace, we'd have to go back and live by the law, and the law pushes us down. It controls us when God wants us to live by the Spirit. There's freedom in the Spirit. There's liberty in the Spirit. But we can't treat it cheaply. We have to treat it as a precious gift because they lived all those years under the law. It was given to Moses. But grace... And truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So right now, we accept his lordship. We say, thank you for your grace. And thank you for your truth. Because without that, all we can live by is the law. And be pressured into that. So we start there. Now go to John chapter 4. Hallelujah. This is the woman at the well. How many of you remember that story? John chapter 4. Let's go um, back to about verse uh, 13. John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered. He's speaking with a Samaritan woman. First place, he went through Samaria where the Jews didn't normally go. How many of you know that? God continually wants to take us through different things in our life. That's why I believe worship and praise and worship are so important because it gives us a God attitude. When we enter into his courts, David said, I'll enter into his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. I'll say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. So he's speaking with her because he got off the beaten path and the disciples even said to him, well, what's going on here? But Jesus was led by the spirit of God. He only did what the father told him to do. And in verse 13, he says, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, go call your husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Let's stop there for a minute. Jesus knew all this. He knows all about us too. And see, sometimes when 
there's correction in a church or correction in our life and God, we take it the wrong way. But this woman's salvation and she went and preached the gospel after that. So God took her through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit to a place where she was, she was condemned for her behavior. But I'm telling you, the law condemns. But grace and truth came from where? Through Jesus Christ. So instead of condemning the woman, he showed her what she should be doing. That's why grace and truth came through him. If you remember John chapter 8, what did they do with the woman in adultery? Of course she had an issue, but the law, which the Pharisees were very good at keeping, the law wanted her exterminated. Stoner. She deserves stoning. But Jesus said, well, one of my favorite scenes in the Bible is it said that he knelt and wrote in the, in the dirt or drew something in the dirt. There's many speculations on what that might be. Some say, well, they wrote the Ten Commandments. That's a long job to write the Ten Commandments. But whatever he wrote, it got people's attention. Not only did it get the attention of the woman who was being corrected, but it got the attention of the lawgivers. Because he said, listen, you who are without, stone, or without sin cast the first stone. And everybody, back to the law again, knew they were condemned if they lived by the law. The mistake that humankind has made is trying to live by a program or a rite or a ritual or a tradition. Remember, the Jews would not speak to the Samaritans. So if he would have continued and avoided Samaria for that purpose, that would have never happened. But he was the embodiment of grace and truth. In other words, he said, Darlene, Lonnie, Anybody, are you without sin? And then the grace takes over. Let's, let's just read about that a little bit. It said, the woman answered in verse 17, said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for you've got five husbands. This isn't about anything with how many times people have been married. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with grace and truth and the law. For you've had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. In that sayest thou truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Look at this in verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So again, by her veering off the path, you know, she, she wasn't even supposed to be talking to him, and he wasn't supposed to be talking to her. It was forbidden. But by veering off the path and entering in and doing something that they weren't necessarily used to doing, all this takes place. And in verse 21, it says, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Why? He said, You worship, you know not what. Mike Phoenix said something one time that just really touched me. He said, if we don't discern the Spirit of God and try to live by the law, we'll make a God in our image, and that will become our God. What was the baptism in the Holy Spirit about? It was all about a new thing happening. They believed, but they didn't have the power that they needed to reach out into the world. 
And so he told the woman, he said, yeah, you're a worshiper, but you don't know what you're worshiping. I think we need certain disciplines in our life. I love the discipline of Sunday morning in God's house. How many of you love that? I love that discipline. It's not grievous to me. I think it keeps families together. I think it keeps homes together. And I think the minute that we start selling that short about this is the appointed time that we miss the move of the Holy Ghost sometimes because we're so accustomed to the way that we want to do things. On the day of Pentecost, they were gathered in that room. You know, do you observe in the book of Acts, do I observe what went on after Jesus ascended? or before he even ascended, they gathered at the appointed hour of prayer. Think about that. They didn't just throw it out the window because something didn't go right. Whoa! I'm telling you right now, miracles happen on the way to God's house. Think about it. Miracles happen on the way to God's house. Peter and John went up to the temple to pray at the appointed hour, and guess what happened? They saw a man sitting in the gates who asked alms all the time. He put himself in a position to be helped. Well, that day was his blessed day because not only was he in a position to be helped, Peter and John would have never encountered that unless they said yes to the grace of God and I'll go and do what I'm supposed to do at the appointed hour. And they walked through the place and he wanted to ask an alms of them and they said, silver and gold, have I none? That's new level Christianity. Sometimes funds run out. Sometimes things don't go the way, but we are to give what we have to give and at the same time realize that it's the Holy Spirit that motivates all that. Religion ignores that. Think about how many times he'd been sitting there at that gate. Think about how many times that the fella sat by the pool and couldn't get in because he said, I had nobody to put me in. Think of the Pharisees when they accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath because he healed on the Sabbath. See, that's what tradition and old ways of thinking. They, some, I think one of the key things that happened to them is they weren't worshipers. They were lawmen. And they said the law brings death. Jesus came to that pool one day and he said, What's the issue here? And he said, I don't have anybody to put me in. Well, I'll tell you what. Sometimes in your life, you depend on somebody to put you in. But listen, I'm going to stay close to the water. I said, I'm going to stay close to the water. And if you stay close to the water, sometimes there's nobody around to put you in. But then you get in anyhow because you don't let anybody or anything convince you that this is not what you're supposed to do. Jesus said, you want to be healed? He said, yeah, excuse, 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 excuse. Think about it. The angel troubles the water. How many times in your life has the angel troubled your water, either through things that you like or things that you don't like? See, whenever God moves, there's a pattern of faithfulness. He works miracles through discipline. Yeah. 
I better get back to the sermon. And I got scripture to back it up. He works miracles through. Now, we're a very free church here. I don't know how many places that we could go within this area that act like we do. Now, some will say that's good and some will say it's bad. But that's what God's got this place here for. And if that's what we're for and that's what we do, then we need to play by the rules that God gave us. And if we're Holy Ghost people, then we need to be Holy Ghost people. And not be ashamed of it. So he went off the beaten path. That's why I think worship is so important. We need to know what we're worshiping. We can't worship the church. We can't worship the, the music. We can't worship anything but him. He is the object of our worship. And when we make him the object of our worship, he'll take us to another place. When he's talking to this woman at the well, he had her attention. Think about it. He had her attention. For the first place, he was where he was not supposed to be. The law would have condemned him for that. What are you even talking to her for? They were considered to be unclean people. He had her attention. When Peter and John, what did they say to the guy at the gate that was asking an alms? What did they say? Peter said, look on us. In other words, look at us. <laughs> you want money? I got something better. Look at us, focus on what you're, if you want to get healed, focus on the one that can bring the healing. That's where the focus needs to be. A lot of times we put the focus on ourselves. What we like, what we want, that's all part of it, I understand that. But the focus needs to be where it needs to be and that's on the author and finisher of our faith with whom there's no shadow of turning. He's constantly graceful and truthful. How many of you have seen laws change in your life? Every time we change administration or something like that, laws get moved around and changed like Roe v. Wade and different things and taking the Bible and the Ten Commandments out of school. See, the law is not real dependable either, and it's just not real dependable. But I'll tell you what's more dependable than anything. If you're looking for freedom, you look to the one that is grace and truth. That brings freedom. So, where was I? Verse 23, the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in what? Oh, it's up there. Thank you. In spirit. What's it? Remember that phrase right there, in spirit. I don't believe in my heart, from what I know, that we can be distracted by other things when we come into the presence of God. Isaiah said, he saw the Lord. He was a prophet. He had a job to do. How many of you know that Old Testament prophets had a real job to do? How many of you know the first time that they got something wrong, they weren't prophets anymore? So the prophets had to be in the spirit. 
Ezekiel spoke about God giving him revelation and things like that. But that stuff only happens when you're in the Spirit. So remember that. Those that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because how do we do that? Jesus Christ brought grace and truth into the world. Without grace and truth, we would still be living in darkness. We would be more subject to the law than we are the freedom that God gives us. So let's read on. For the Father seeks those kinds such to worship Him. That's what God's looking for in my life and in your life. Okay? We have to, we have to foster we have to foster that attitude in us. It has to be fostered. It has to be uh, nourished. Okay? Because he just told her, he said, if you drink from this, and he says in Scripture, out of your belly shall come what? Living water? What's a symbol of water? The Holy Spirit. Let's read on. Man, I got it. Verse 24. Why do we need to worship in spirit? And in truth. Well, there it is right there. Because God is a spirit. You know what I love about the book of Job? Whenever you mention the book of Job, people go, oh, no, we're in for it now. God listened to Joseph or Job for a long time. He listened a long time. He listened to all his complaints, everything that he had to say. But at the end, you know what he did? He said, Who taught you all this? Okay, you know this and you know that. But do you know, and then he goes into this like eight chapters of questioning Job about who made this and who did that and who did this and who did that. Job was trying to handle it on a physical basis because he was suffering at that time. But finally, God Jehovah spoke to him and said, okay, were you there when this happened? Were you there? And the instances are too much for me to even tell you about. But he said, were you there, Job, when this happened? And finally, what happened is Job, through all of his suffering, submitted to what God wanted, and God healed him and restored him. And not only restored him, but he gave him more than what he ever thought he could have. Is anybody still out there? Hallelujah. Because God's a spirit. He came to this earth one time to forgive us. John 3, 17, what's it say? He came not into the world to condemn the world, just like the adulterous woman, just like the Samaritan woman. He didn't come to condemn them. He came to save them. God's a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and what? Okay. In the Old Testament, how did the Spirit work? It would come upon people. Isaiah was a spiritual man. But Isaiah chapter 6, he's going to show Isaiah something he's never seen before. Think about that. You know, a lot of times in churches and in our lives, we say, well, that's the way we've always done it. And it's always been this or it's always done that. Just because that's the way you've always done it does not mean that that's a good thing. The Samaritan woman and the Jews would not speak to one another. And Jesus would go around Samaria because it wasn't proper for him to be there. That was tradition. But let me tell you, 
the freedom and the grace and truth that he gives us breaks tradition. It cuts right through all that. And where the veil was before, because it was all law, where the veil was before was rent when Jesus cried out and said, it is finished and the veil was torn and grace and truth came flooding in and today we're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And I'm not talking about a certain exposition or how you react to it. I'm talking about, do we come into God's house? Ready, Lord, I'm ready. I've been in the desert all week. They must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship should be fresh. I said worship should be fresh. Not your reaction to worship. Now we know we have some of the best musicos. I don't know why I'm speaking Spanish. We have some of the best musicians anywhere. But we can't worship that. And guess what? They have a responsibility here in the church, but it's not their responsibility to get you to thinking about the things of God before they get here or you get here. It's not their responsibility. Yeah, I'm trying. Think about it a minute. How far does their responsibility go? How far does my responsibility go? It doesn't really matter what song they play. What matters is the spirit that you discern from the song. I seem, I like ball games. I like baseball. But we can't come in here and sing, take me out to the ball game and get the same results than if we're worshiping God. We ought to try that one way. Take me out to the ball game. And then after church, somebody would say, well, I didn't feel nothing. Well, you weren't supposed to feel nothing. It just makes you want to go to the ball game. Well, okay, thank you, Darlene. So when we come into God's house, we got to want to go to the ball game. So then in verse 25, the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah will come. See, they were all waiting for Messiah. The Jews are still waiting for Messiah. You can go to Israel today and they're still keeping the law. That's what animal sacrifice and the rebuilding of the temple is all about. They try to keep the law. But one day when he is revealed and he comes back on the Mount of Olives and splits that thing wide, there's, you know, those. how many of you watch these Fix it up shows, HGTV. It's okay, you can raise your hand. Well, what I like is, you know all those shows are prearranged anyhow. I mean, it's so obvious and we sit there and we just suck it up. And they're always talking about the end and they always run into the same problems in the middle of the show. Well, the foundation's not good. We got to tear this thing up and start from scratch. And this is an unforeseen cost that we didn't know was going to be there. And they go through the same routine, but in the end, it always works out, doesn't it? I could write a script for it because we know the end of the story. And then the big deal is when, and I don't know how they keep the people from seeing the house. 
But then they always, at the end of the show, you know what they have? The big reveal. The big reveal. And they're all standing there like, oh boy, this is going to be good. Should I list it or should I love it? Think about it a minute. And you get, you get more to the, the tension ramps up and you're sitting there and then they, they bring you to a place in the show where it says, what do you say? Are you going to love it or list it? And the commercial comes on. And we're all sitting there like. But you know it's going to happen. That's the way that they do it. They try to build up the emotion of the thing and keep you captivated. Well, let me tell you about a reveal that's going to take place when the Lord says he's coming back. <laughs> you talk about a reveal, you're not going to be able to cover that one up with a curtain. Think about it in a minute. I love Chip and Joanna Gaines. They're Christians. They stood up for the word of the Lord, and they have that fix-it-up show or fix-her-upper. And then I found out the other day through research. I research a lot of stuff. I found out the other day that when they had the big reveal and they rolled back that screen and they let the people in the house and the people are going, ah. Well, guess what happens the minute filming's over with? They take all the furniture and everything out of the house. It never was theirs. So that's a reveal that's really not a reveal. But when the reveal comes and the Lord comes back to this earth, the ones that are going to worship him are the ones that worship him in spirit and in truth. And then she said, I know the Messiah is coming. When he's come, he will tell us all things, just like the world's waiting for the next God to show up, the next way to do things, waiting on this, waiting on that. I say it's time to do what God has asked each one of us individually to do. We don't need anything else. We've got the word of God. And, and Jesus looked at her, and that's when he always gets in trouble is when he states his lordship. Jesus said in verse 26, I that speak to you am he. Uh-oh, here we go. But she had a revelation behind that. Think about it. She had a revelation. She had a reveal behind that. And this reveal was, and upon this came his disciples in 27 and marveled that he talked with that woman. Yet no man said, what are you talking about or what are you seeking? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me things that ever I did. Isn't this the one? Isn't this the Christ? Isn't this the one that I should be listening to? Isn't this the one that I should be worshiping? This, isn't this the one? She'd been through the other side of the tracks. And she found grace and truth that came in Jesus Christ. Because he went off the beaten path. Because he did something 
that people don't normally do according to the law. Well, let's go on. I'm almost finished. Say, thank God. Who wrote the book of John? Who wrote the book of John? Curious, isn't it? It wasn't a trick question. Somebody said, Matthew back there. I don't know. All right, who wrote Matthew? John? There's something very consistent about the Spirit of God. Now, it comes and goes like the wind, and nobody can tell where it came from or where it's going, but we need to be able to tell when it hits. There's a consistency to the move of God. John walked with the Lord. He was one of the disciples. He's the one that laid his head on Jesus' breast. They called him the beloved disciple. All the rest of the disciples were martyred. Why wasn't John martyred? Why was he exiled instead of martyred? I can't explain the mysteries of God other than to say this. This same John, and people speculate that he was in his 80s and 90s, was the one that was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And guess what happened on the Isle of Patmos? He had a reveal. Just like Isaiah had a reveal. Isaiah was a man of God that had seen the glory of God. He spoke deep things to the children of Israel. But one day he encountered in the spirit. Remember that term? He encountered the real God. He said he was, I saw the Lord. He didn't say, I saw Jeremy and that got me over the hump. I love Jeremy, but he's not my savior. And if he messes a song up, It doesn't bother your salvation one little bit. He never messes up. How many of you know that? You better raise your hand because we're recording this. So Isaiah had this. He said, I saw the Lord. I was where I was supposed to be doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I saw the Lord. And he said, he was what? High. And lifted up. And his glory, his train, did what it filled the temple. In other words, if you were in that temple, you got filled. Sometimes God moves so strongly that you can't ignore him. How many ever ignored the law? Anybody in here raise your hand if you ever, oh, look at that. Some of you are lying right now and you. I've ignored the law. Well, what do I do to make it right? Don't ignore the law. It's just like I read an article the other day and a guy said, is it ever good to tell a lie? And then he went through this scenario. Well, a big lie, yeah, but how about a little bitty lie? He said, sometimes you lie because you don't want to hurt people's feelings. Uh, 
I know we've all done that, haven't we? But he wasn't trying to condemn us for that. He just said, you know, the law will always trip you up. You'll always come up short somewhere. So this same John was kept alive on the Isle of Patmos, and I'm finishing up here. He had a revelation. And I want you to turn there to Revelation chapter 1. Everybody there? Here's the importance of worship and being in the right attitude of worship because that's how we charge our batteries. Think about it. Praise and worship. Praise is thanking God for what He's done in our life. Worship is the next stage that we move into, even if he hasn't done anything except save you. You know you're supposed to worship him whether he bends to our ways or not because he's grace and truth. And there's times where we can't figure out the mysteries of God, but we can't get mad at God. So John's on the Isle of Patmos, and I'm, I want to impress you with this, <laughs> not because I said it, but because the Word said it. Verse 9, John 1, or uh, Revelation 1, 9. Ah. There she goes. I, John, now he knew everything about Jesus. He was around for all the miracles, all everything. He's stuck on this island in exile. And the prisons were pretty nasty, I would say. I don't think they had televisions and things like that. And he said, I'm also your brother and companion in tribulation. And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Go ahead. Remember what I told you to remember a few minutes ago? He said, I was in what? I was in what? The spirit. Say that again. The spirit. And when was he in the Spirit? The Lord's in the Lord's day. Yeah. I was in the Spirit. Yeah. And what did Jesus tell the woman at the well? Those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. He didn't say I was taking a law course on the Lord's day. He said I was worshiping the Lord. See, when Isaiah got that revelation, not only did he say, oh, that was pretty cool, but it said the doorposts, the very foundations of what he was used to were shaken. And I love to say, don't just be touched, but get shook up about the things of God. And he does the same thing here to John. John's is exiled on this island. But guess what? John never quit praying. He never quit trusting. He never quit having faith. He never... I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to be in his, but on the day of the Lord, he was in the Spirit. Amen. And that don't mean that he ran around the church. If you do, God bless you. That doesn't mean anything about 
a demonstration. Some people demonstrate. Some people reveal different than others. But he said, I was there on the Lord's day. That's the key to it, is being disciplined by the way God wants us to do things. Because that's what brings liberty. And if we abuse it with cheap grace, then guess where we fall? Back into the law. And then people got to say ugly things. Amen? Okay, what did he say here? I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega. We, we looked at this last week. Sometimes we just got to realize that he's the beginning and he's the end and our worship should be contained in he's the beginning of our worship. And when we quit worshiping, we don't turn our back, but we stay in that attitude that he shows us. John, after he says, I was in the spirit in the Lord's day, then we go through the seven churches, seven churches. That's what she mentioned that she's been studying the seven churches. John had a whole lot of writing to do there. But let me tell you something. When the Spirit speaks by revelation, it's not a burdensome thing. Because John was in the position to receive. He didn't say, oh, woe is me. I'm on the Isle of Patmos. I've got a miserable life. I live with rats. I got this going on. I got that going. He didn't even mention that because he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was ready. I don't know if they had a church there or if he was in a cell by himself. But guess what? He was in the Spirit. And then, I mean, you had to be in the Spirit to write Revelation. You had to be in the Spirit to receive what John was saying. People have argued over the book of Revelation forever, what it means, post-trib, mid-trib, your trib, my trib, everybody's trib, trib. I'll tell you what, it don't matter whether you're mid, pre, up, down, back, forth. It doesn't matter. You just better believe what Jesus said, that grace and truth came through him. Because if you're still living under the law and don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when that big reveal comes, guess what? You can argue all you want. I can argue. I could say, well, that said this, and that guy did this, and that guy did. It doesn't matter because he said, those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Don't worship man. Don't worship a church. Don't worship a doctrine. Worship the one that can fix you. So he writes, uh, man, I've preached way too long today. Half of you won't come back next week because you would be mad at me. So then God downloads the Spirit of God. Actually, it was Jesus Christ who was walking through the lampstands and the golden candle. Who was doing that, right? John was in the Spirit enough to see that. This is a revelation. This is big. This is the end times. It's not like, well, what are we going to do in Sunday school? It's bigger than that. Although that's a big deal. But look what happens. Oh, right just to the church at Ephesus. Then talk right just to the church at Smyrna. The message to the church at uh, Pergamos. The message to the church at Thyatira. The message to the church at Sardis. The message to the church at Philadelphia. And the message to the church at Laodicea. You know what he did? Every church, he told them what they were doing right. But guess what? He told them what they were doing wrong. Even if it was one thing. 
He said, I had this one thing. You say, well, God, don't be a nitpicker. He's not. All that he does for us is for our good. So John sits through all this. And if you go and study the book of Revelation later on, he sees helicopters and he sees jet planes and he sees things with light in their tails, which only can describe the things that we have in the earth today. But he hung in there and he wrote it all down. Now, if you're John on the Isle of Patmos, how do you describe a jet fighter? John mentioned quite a few times it had lights on its tail and lights here and lights there. He didn't understand it, but he knew where he needed to be, and that was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And a lesser man would have given up, but look what happened. Go to chapter 4. Verse 1. Thank you back there. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. After all that writing, you think he'd be worn out and say, I'm just so tired of this, I'm not going to do it anymore. This was a heavy load you dumped on me. Look what it says. And after this, after all that, after being the one that was with Jesus, after watching him ascend, after being exiled to the Isle of Patmos, not knowing when the next time they were going to open the door and say it's time for your head to be chopped off. All the rest of them went that way. One way or another, crucifixion, boiled in oil, flayed. That's some rough stuff. But he said, after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. I've heard a lot of preachers, and myself included, speak about an open heaven. That we're living under an open heaven. We're living under open heaven. It's, It's real popular to say that in Pentecostal circles. We're living in an open heaven. We're living under an open heaven. The only way that we can enter and live in an open heaven is by being in the Spirit. And look what he said. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. That's another reason that we come together at the appointed time and move into worship of our Lord because we want to keep that door open in our lives. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Which said, come up here. Now how do we come up a notch? Through discerning who he is and what he does and trusting in him. He's grace and truth. I don't want to live under the law. I'll fail it, and so will you. But I can sure live under grace and not treat it cheaply, but treat it with value. Grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. John realized that. It's a revelation. Not everybody got it. Not everybody gets it. But grace and truth came through him. Who was walking in the golden candlesticks in there? Jesus was walking there. That's where grace and truth, he, we have to appeal to him. And he said, after all this, after writing all that, he, probably, he says, then I, he says, come up here and I will show you things that must be. I talk to frustrated Christians all the time that wonder why God's not doing this, God's not doing that. Well, if he ain't doing something that you, then do something different on your part.
Will it always be right? You know, another thing that we've let move into the church is perfection. The law demands perfection. But grace and truth brings liberty. And we base what we know on so many different things. But he said, after this, I heard a voice which says, come up here and I will show you things which must be hereafter. How many of you got dreams and promises in your life that God spoke to you one time when you was in the Spirit? Well, then you got to stay up hither. And then look what he says, and I'll end with this. And immediately... What's it say? Where was he? How did that happen? Immediately, I was in the Spirit, he said. Well, man, he probably needed to be in the Spirit after going through the seven churches. He said, immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set, and I got in there because I can't go on too much farther. He said, then he started seeing all these things in heaven. But if you're a disappointed Christian, if you feel if like God's left you behind, then my, my advice is come to the Lord's house on the appointed time. Come with an attitude of worship and praise. Disconnect from the problems of the world and worship Him and Him only. Amen. Amen. Worship Him and Him only. Don't worship me. Don't worship anybody else. Worship Him and him only. That's what he wants. That's what he wants out of me. And we know other people that do it other ways, and tradition does this, and tradition does that, but we saw how tradition could be good and bad. He never would have encountered that woman if he would have kept tradition. That woman, taken in adultery, would have been stoned until he showed up with grace and truth, not the law. And he says to the woman, where are your accusers? And that leads me to believe that I do wrong, you do wrong, we all do wrong. But we get real legal. The law, see the law would have had her stoned and forgotten. But Jesus came and he said, okay, here's the law. Here's what she's done. You guys are right. You're absolutely right. She, the law says to stone her. She has no choice. We must keep the law. How many of you knew that Jesus knew the law? Jesus knew the law. But then he weighed the law in one hand and grace and truth. He said, I'm grace and truth. So in other words, it wasn't a battle between Jesus and the Pharisees. It was a law. It was a battle between the law and grace and truth. And grace and truth always wins out. Because it reveals God. It reveals the Holy Spirit in His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a revelation that takes place there. The law doesn't let that be revealed because the law wants to keep things the way they are. So... How many of you received this today? Anybody? I don't want anybody to feel condemned. It's not about condemnation. When I come into the building, and, and I, I, I want to be in the Spirit with you. Not in the Spirit against you. 
Anybody understand what I just said? That's another mistake we make. But just remember, God moves in the journey. We can't be content with sitting still and doing what we're doing if we're not receiving revelation. God has done great works through this small body, and He continues to do great works. But I can't live in dead works, and neither can you, because there's something planted inside of us which is called grace and truth that urges us on to the next step.